0: Welcome to the TBD podcast, To Be Determined. My name is Erica Berger, and I'm your host and convener. Life can be messy. On To Be Determined, we talk with artists, entrepreneurs, and world shapers about how they pick through their messy lives and become more resilient. As our guests reflect vulnerably on their own journeys, we hope their stories will help you better explore yours. After all, shouldn't life be determined? Daniel Ospina is a Colombian and Belgian polymath living in London and the founder of cross-modalism. Cross-modalism is a movement born from the synthesis of art, science, and entrepreneurship. It's about connecting non-traditionally linked disciplines, ideas, and communities. Cross-modalism fosters an appreciation of the full human experience and connects it to the social and natural environment. Daniel and I met at a sustainable design event. We're both members of Sandbox, a community of 1,300 people from 40-plus cities around the world. People who care deeply about the world today, but also the future. I could tell when meeting him that he wasn't any normal 28-year-old. We sat down to talk about grappling with randomness, wrestling with diversity, and creating space for unexpected encounters. I talked to Daniel at the Sandbox Global Summit, held on a private Croatian island in the Adriatic Sea. We first talked outside, in the middle of a forest of sorts. I started off asking about Daniel's unique background. You. Um, can you tell me a little bit about who you are and where you're from?
1: Yeah, sure. So I, I was born in Colombia. I'm legally half Colombian, half Belgian. My mother is from Belgium. I, I live in a, in a few places when I was growing up, but mostly in Colombia.
0: Daniel graduated uh, then, high school in Colombia at 16, at 16 school, then uh, moved to Europe. Uh, he lived in Spain, Spain studied in France, Spain. and bounced around the continent. He also lived in the U.S., for the last six years, he's been living in London. I wanted to know how Daniel had found our shared community, Sandbox. One thing I discovered is that Daniel's been grappling with randomness his whole life. And of course, he stumbled upon Sandbox quite randomly.
1: So at the, at the time I was working in, in research and development within the food industry. And peculiarly, the, the place I was working at had a relationship with uh, the experimental psychology department in Oxford. Mm-hmm. And, and we, went, we went there to, to visit. Uh, and while we're there talking with, uh, with a professor who's going to show us uh, and discuss his theory on, on sensory perception, which then we're going to be able to, to use for, uh, for the team to implement on the, on the stuff that we are designing. Uh, there is this guy that steps into the room. And, and very, very awkwardly, he was wearing the, the same jacket of the, the university I had gone to. And, and even more strange than that is he also had a Colombian flag in the neck. Mm, now,
0: that's hilarious.
1: Yeah, and the, the university I've been, been to uh, is tiny, like, or each class is roughly 50 students. Uh, and there's like only 50 students that graduate every year. Uh, it's a very, very selective place. And, and there has been maybe, I don't know, eight Colombians in the whole history of it. Mm. Um, so even more strange than, even stranger than that was that. Well, this guy was half Colombian, half French. I'm um, half Colombian, half Belgian. Uh, we had studied at the same university, albeit at a different time. Then we had both worked in Italy, within roughly 50 miles from each other, never met there. Uh, and he did, had nothing to do with psychology either or with Oxford for that reason, and just ended up meeting there. Uh, and, well, he kind of became a good friend and he introduced me to the community.
0: Huh, that's really beautiful. It sounds like. Um you don't have a problem following serendipity or synchronicity?
1: No, um, I've, I've, I've always been troubled with choices, uh, with life choices, so uh, when I was kind of 8 I wanted to study chemistry, by the time I was 12 uh, I was starting to, to take a class in economics uh, two years later I was trying to decide between studying cooking and law
0: hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so. Too many interests, right?
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, it's, it's always been a problem of choosing.
0: So how have you dealt with that as an adult? Are there any experiences you've had that have kind of helped you cope with the paradox of choice, which is what I believe you refer to?
1: Well, I found choice uh, is always a challenge, and, and for many things. I. I close every day by looking my agenda for the next day, so I know which time I have to set the alarm, uh, and that already requires me to prioritize a whole range of things. And like almost half my energy just goes into that every all the time, uh, without counting of big life choices. But oh, my father had this um, well, this this tip, one of the life advices he gave me, and who was like, well, I was moving to. I wanted to learn French, and he told me, partially as a joke, but I think it's very true, that the best method to learn a language is the audio-sexual method. So that means that you basically find a partner, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or something, and before you realize, you're talking. Uh, so it's not too different when you have other interests. We have a limited amount of time, limited capacity to explore things, but we can always find someone, meet someone uh, who we like, having time with we can go for a drink together have dinner or just have a chat from time to time uh, and we can learn about what they're doing and we can partially explore other fields that way
0: that's really interesting so through other people you've kind of edited your life
1: Yes, yeah, abs- absolutely. And, and that was kind of the reason for all these connections. He was like, okay, I, I'm really intrigued by psychology. Now I'm not going to do a master in psychology. I'm not going to do a PhD in psychology. I don't have five years of my life. I don't want to read 500 papers on the topic. But I can find someone who knows a lot about what they're talking about uh, and, and ask them
0: questions. So it seems like you're a bit of a collector, a collector of people, of answers, of ideas. Would you say that?
1: Yeah, I could I could say that. and. And, and as well, like over, over time, I, I come to treasure more and more the, the diversity within my, within my network uh, and making sure that among the people I know, it, we're going to find loads of disagreements. Uh, because that's when you realize that you haven't lived the whole thing. You don't, you don't know all the sides to the question and you can learn something.
0: So how do you get comfortable when you disagree with people?
1: Well, um... First, there is one thing: is that is, is fu- disagreeing on itself is really, really hard. Um, I, most of the time, you're not really communicating. Uh, you express something; the other, uh, you express some facts. The other person express some facts, and the fact is that the situation, the reality in itself, is very complex. So maybe you know both arguments are true. It's just that they're different sides of the same. The same thing that you're lo- that you're looking at. So when I, I always it's hard, you know, I, I struggle with it quite often. I fail at it and end up in a real argument. But uh, but the general idea is that you try to keep that lens and keep that perspective. And when you realize that is well, okay, let's let's look at this a bit objectively and let's say where are they coming from and wh- why why is it that they're expressing that? What's like behind? Uh, what they're saying, even beyond the the fact itself, is like emotionally, or what do they need that is pushing them to say that?
0: I love that. I studied diplomacy in college. I studied international relations and diplomacy, and um, one of my favorite professors always talked about all of the different angles of a story. and and the emotional kind of motivators behind why someone would believe something. And I think a lot nowadays about kind of what's happening with the rise of populism and and the way people um, are really arguing with each other about their beliefs and about how society should be built moving forward, and and really kind of this idea that we're in a post-truth or a post-fact world. And and there was a study that came out recently uh, that said that um, we trust the people we know to share information with us more now than we trust publishers or experts or what have you. Um, what do you think about that? How does well, that make you feel?
1: You know, it's... Uh, it, it worries me. Like, it really, really troubles me. I, I think radicalization is the huge issue of our time. And I don't mean some people in the Middle East. I mean every single one of us. Uh, even, you know, within this lovely community that Sandbox is, we always struggle to, to remember that people outside are not like us and they have different views and that we need to take that into account. And when we spend a week together, it's it's hard to come back to reality and adjust to someone who is just going to react very differently to what we get used to expect.
0: Do you think there's something we can do now that we're in our 20s and 30s? Is it too late? Or do you think there's something that we can do to change the way that we actually like relate to each other and listen to each other?
1: Well... You know, I it's difficult, but I if I was gonna say something, um, I would give the well two things. One is the power of randomness, Hmm. and and ironically, like there is this uh, series of apps that have come that come and go. Uh, At some point, they existed, like Chatroulette, where you met some stranger. Now, of course, that stopped for other reasons. Uh, uh, People taking too much liberty with what they were doing. or there is perhaps now uh, Tinder, the dating app, where you meet people outside of your social bubble. But I also have a, have a friend, uh, well, we became really good friends, but we, I know him from very, only since six months ago, really. And he had just moved into London. He knew almost no one there, just had like this really random connection with a woman. And he decided that for the first six months he was gonna be in London, he was gonna say yes to everything. So he just asked people, hey, what are you doing this week that's really great? that you really enjoy, can I join you for that? And I'm just going to say yes, whatever it is, I'm not going to put any filter on it.
0: That sounds like it could get dangerous. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, he got himself in some awkward places. But as as long as you're safe, like relatively safe, or or you keep your eyes open, um, you can do that. But, well, the other thing is, and and it's something we really need to, to struggle, is how much we rely on snap judgments. So... Diversity is difficult because we we like to be comfortable and diversity challenges. So we can very easily default to just judging someone by the first sentence they they wrote, the first few words they said, how they dress, Uh, and and it's just saying, you know what, I think I hate them. I think this is a horrible person and I never want to spend time with them. But just to be sure, I'm going to give them a minute more and ask them another question. And then I can decide. and, and as well with the people you love uh, or the people you think are... Sometimes you meet someone and you have this really, really great connection. And that's fantastic. You know, it, it really makes up your day or your, or your week and they can become lifelong laugh- friends and change your life. But as well, like at those beginnings, don't, don't jump too quickly into saying, oh, this is ideal. Uh, just explore it. Give it a little bit of, of time. Take time.
0: I like that you just brought up time. Um... Talk to me, kind of, about your perceptions around time and how you spend your time, and and if you ever feel a sense of regret, or if you ever feel um, the opposite, which is, wow, I'm really using my time incredibly.
1: Well, you know the the last um, the last kind of year, year and a half for me has been very intense work. Work wise, I was going through a, a big transition, trying to, well, launching my, launching my company, doing all, all sorts of media, public relationship stuff that I, and business development that I didn't expect. I had to. And, and I kind of defaulted to working all weekends uh, and so on. And, well, it's been really, really hard to, when I try to, to think, okay, uh, I'm at this point. Uh, so, what did, have I done in the past two months? Uh, and, and keeping track of that, and I have all the friends in the world who are super organized and they set daily goals and weekly goals, and they track progress, and they work a little bit like high performing athletes i I receive that advice a lot I cannot use it i I, I just hate goals i don 't like goal setting I, I like iterating i I, I like feeling it uh, I adjust my time depending on how how i 'm feeling at that mo- at that moment, and what happens is that time just goes away and may, I live in the present not because I want to but it's just kind of this state of having on one side a slightly poor memory uh, and on the other side not tracking goals now you know many people will criticise that straight away but there is also a, a kind of nice of fluidity and, and the occasional very nice surprise when someone says uh, well actually do you realise all the things you've done recently and and I discover that not through having been very disciplined about it, but by some, someone else as a sort of random gift.
0: I love that, the idea of allowing other people to help you understand your progress and, and the impact you've been making on the world and, and on yourself, on your personal growth. Daniel uses others to help him understand how the random things he's accomplished fits into the big picture. That's something that's easy to lose sight of. We'd been chatting outside at this point and it was getting a bit loud. Oh no. It's too loud. We decided to change locations and chat later. Go in that little hut. Yeah, sure. Let's try that. When we started up again, this time we were sitting by the sea, listening to wind chimes. I asked Daniel, in the face of his life of randomness, how does he plan? How does he set big goals if so much of what he's accomplished has come out of embracing randomness? Does he even set goals or plan? His answer surprised me.
1: I don't do it. And I'm really happy I don't do it. Uh, and I, I make that decision very consciously. And I, I know many people will frown upon that idea. But the the fact is that we, we can be very short-sighted assuming that that's the only way and that that necessarily works best in every situation. The fact is that all that planning is really really good to refine priorities because it makes you it forces you to ask hard questions and to say actually what do i really care about and what's the most important thing and that's of course a valuable process but it also fixes you upon targets and it forces you to redo this process constantly because if you don't have a goal then suddenly you're kind of lost so personally i i keep longer cycles of prioritization where I, have a, where I have a list and an organized list of the things that are the most important for me to advance upon, but not on the task I need to deliver for them. Uh, and I, I kind of flip the task according to, according to how I'm feeling. I have a, a well, the, the luck of having a, a very flexible work. Most of the time, having that dynamic capacity to adaptate uh, while just knowing where north is, where I want to get uh, and which things are Im- are important but not necessarily pla- trying to plan and control every second allows me to relax a little bit more and flow uh, according to to what how I'm feeling and as well how the situation changes. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to check my emails five minutes while I'm having breakfast and and I had my day planned out and then I get these news and they, those priorities change completely. So if I don't have that like wider list of what are the things that are most important uh, and I on, I'm only concentrating on the task or trying to be too rigid about it, I won't have the flexibility to jump on this opportunity or, or I'll be really stressed and thinking, oh my God, but then I'm not delivering this other stuff. So I think it's, it's important to balance it out and to really ask the question, what's the best thing for myself uh, uh, in the situation I am at the moment, in the environment I'm trying to operate?
0: Daniel's key for dealing with randomness and diversity is, in other words, not being rigid about his goals, to be flexible. That flexibility and freedom sounds great, but it does come with a cost. Flexibility sometimes means accidentally falling off track. His freewheeling approach to research sometimes means he gets derailed, for better or for worse.
1: Quite often I, I jump into a topic uh, and then there is all these other links to related articles uh, and I can easily realize that I wasted the last two hours reading something that has nothing to do with me. But I, I discovered from, both from personal experience, but a, well, uh, a piece of research. For a while I was managing and uh, well designing processes for an R&D lab and and I was trying to figure out how the team should operate to come out with breakthrough ideas, with to be creative, to come up with original solutions, because that was very much at the core of what we needed to do. And I tried to look back throughout the years of all the ways the team was operating, who was in that team, how was the space, you know, all the factors that uh, loads of people talk about and saying, okay, because we already succeeded in the past, we just need to figure out what were the conditions when we were doing really well and reproduce that. And after looking for the data for... A couple months, there was absolutely nothing there. It didn't make any sense at all. And and I was like, damn, okay, uh, this sucks. So basically, uh, I just wasted two months trying to do this exercise. And a couple weeks after, just, okay, I said, okay, fine, I'll just work. And it was like in the back of my mind, really bothering me. And a couple of weeks after, I was reading a book uh, about the, the company. And at that moment, it struck me that actually the, cons- the one thing that was consistent across all the breakthroughs was that they all started with a story. Uh, and all those stories had a beginning where someone from this place had met someone from an industry very far removed that had absolutely nothing to do with the work we had at hand. It was uh, This was within the food industry, so at the beginning it was uh, a physicist uh, and a chemist. Uh, and they started mailing each other uh, just like, Curiosity, like, hey, what's your perspective on this stuff? Because I never heard any physicists comment on food, uh, and you know, this was before molecular cuisine came in. And but they, this whole thing evolved over time. The curiosity evolved. Over, oh, how about we explore this topic? And they run an experiment. And again, that experiment had zero applicability in work. Uh, but two years down the line, that ended up turning into a breakthrough industry-defining innovation. And it, and it was consistent across the years. I could see many then many of these relationships and roughly this two-year timeline being repeated, where all of them, they started with curiosity and a big level of randomness and many conversations in a pub and having dinners and drinks and coffees together and emailing back and forth about philosophy of life and stuff that was very far removed from that career path and that pyramid that we try to get ourselves upon. And we think, oh, no, I just need to focus, focus, focus. And what happens is that you try to climb the ladder the same way everyone is. And you get into a room and when everyone has the same thing to say, you can only rely on being slightly better at saying it. And that's very, very difficult. But you're just trying to climb, you know, you're fighting an uphill battle. You can think about it the other way and say, "Okay, how about I explore something that no one else uh, is exploring? And that allows you to come up with different ideas and have something to say in that conversation that's a lot more interesting and a lot more original.
0: Daniel continues to explore outside his expertise. He continues to cultivate luck and randomness. For example, he helped start a group that pairs wine with music. Guests bring a wine and a piece of music they think pairs well with it. It's a chance for people from a diverse set of disciplines, art, science, business, you name it to connect over a shared love of drink and song. The idea of gathering around wine and music, which Daniel says you're welcome to steal, by the way, has spread. Today, Daniel helps organize different wine and music gatherings around the world. Now there are 850 people on three different continents getting together. They share opinions, disagree, and create space for something random and beautiful to happen. Daniel's also a founder of CrossModalism, an organization run entirely by volunteers, hosting events around the world, too. Thanks to Daniel Ospina for coming on the show and recording a non-traditional episode of TBD. You can find his work at crossmodalism.com. Thanks for listening to the TBD podcast. This has been a production of TBD, To Be Determined. Check our website out at livetbd.com. That's live to be determined. And share us with your friends. We love reaching new listeners. Thanks for listening and see you soon.